On this week's episode of the Shut Up and Build Bikes podcast, I share my interview with Andrew Cooper of Bike Fab Supply in Phoenix, Arizona. Each week on the Shut Up and Build Bikes podcast, I talk to somebody in the bike frame building world and I try to help them tell their story of how they got started and how they learned the things that they needed to learn to do what they are now doing. And so my guest this week is a supplier of tubing and dropouts and consumables and all the things you'd use to make bikes uh, out of Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, Andrew works full time and ships all the you know tubing and things to people. And so prior to running this business full time, he ran it part time. And prior to that, he was uh, building bike frames for for a little while. And uh, so we talk about you know his history, you know, wanting to learn bike frames, uh, finally finding someone to kind of help him figure it out and getting started as a hobbyist and, uh, and then eventually working more toward the supply side and, you know, supporting this industry and this, uh, you know, a lot for a lot of people, it's a hobby. And for, for some people, it's actually a, a career. And so, uh, he gets to do that now. And I think what's cool about what Andrew does with bike fab supply is, um, he's always, he's, he's very ambitious about, um, growing it bigger. And so there's always new offerings. I'm always kind of surprised to see the pace at which he's releasing new things. He seems to have a pretty customer centered business model, you know, like when I've talked to him, he's been very helpful. And so I I appreciate that. That's sort of the way that I try to run my business is to, you know, to offer people, um, you know, answer their questions and and be on top of shipping things out and uh, trying to make people happy. And I see that with what he does. Uh, So I wanted to get his perspective on, you know, sort of being like a, I don't know if an underdog, but he's like a newer comer to the supply chain of the the frame building world. And so I wanted to get his perspective on the show. Yeah. So for me, um, you know, before I really took a dive into it, I was just messing around. You know, I've been in motorcycle mechanics and fabrication, you know, from kind of young age and then in my 20s and whatnot. And um, uh, happened to see a, a gal that was riding a fixed gear bike uh, through a place I was living at and just something looked different about it. I hadn't seen a frame like that and stopped her and said, hey, where'd you get that bike? And she said, oh, well, this guy, Colin Lang, uh, built it for me. He's a, a frame builder. And I was like, Oh, okay. That's, that's pretty interesting. I haven't really heard anybody around here doing that, you know? And so I asked if I could get his contact information see if I could get, get a hold of him and, uh, uh, see if I could get him to let me learn something or just pick his head on stuff. And so at that time, really, I was definitely wet behind the ears of any idea of how to really build bicycle frames. I think at that time I was chopping up cruisers and stuff like that and kind of doing some that kind of rat rod fabrication type stuff and uh so i knew this was kind of would be next level and so i gave him a call and pretty much he straight up was like i don't have time for that i'm too old (laughs) and um i think the conversation probably lasted all 30 seconds and the phone hung up on me (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, and so I tried calling back again and his wife answered and, you know, uh, she was pretty much, no, he doesn't have time for that. We don't want to get involved with anybody. Mm-hmm. And so he 
she hung up the phone on me. <laughs> so <laughs> this was all me, in, my dad did some, in Phoenix or yeah, this was in Phoenix. Yeah. So I was in downtown Phoenix at that time. And this timeline wise, this would be like 2007, I would say. And, um, and so me and my dad go looking, okay, so what are our options here? This guy doesn't want to help us out. And so, you know, I look at UBI and, um, a couple other frame schools at that time. And, uh, and so we did some research and we found a guy that had learned from Colin Lang at some point along the road that was up in Vegas and got a hold of him. And he, uh, was like, yeah, he taught me to build a couple of frames. I've done some stuff over the years. And he's like, I got some, you know, some, some jig stuff. And I've got a manual that I took all my notes from Colin on how to build frames. And so it was this handwritten kind of uh, manual, you know, uh, pretty much notes from when Colin was teaching him. And, uh, and so we're like, well, would you, do we think we could buy that stuff from you and use that as our starting point? So I think we maybe, you know, spent like 500 bucks or something and uh, uh, got this manual from the guy. He had some old Reynolds tubing, some old Columbus tubing, some lugs and stuff. And so, we drove up to Vegas, uh, you know, it's five hours away, bought the stuff from the guy and chatted and turned around and drove home and started messing around. And, uh, so did that, I think for about a month or so, and then, you know, kind of learned we're messing around and then went back and called Colin again and said, Hey, we bought all this stuff from this guy. You had taught him and, uh, we really want to learn it a bit, a bit better and could use some guidance. And so he's like, he agreed to sit down with me and my dad and we had a real cool chat. The guy, you know, he was 72 at the time, I think wow. in 2007 when we talked with him. And so he, he was an old English frame builder. Um, and, uh, from what he says, he, he got trained under the Taylor brothers. He started doing hand filing them at 15 years old. And, wow. um, so, you know, old, super old school frame building, you know? And so, you know, just had some chats about it and, you know, what, what we kind of wanted to do and, you know, just learn about frame building. My dad had been a, a TIG welder and metal fabrication for a lot of years. And so he had, you know, solid background and understanding stuff. And he, he had done fillet braids and stuff like that. And Colin was lugging fillet braids. So he ended up, ended up agreeing and saying, okay, yeah, you can, you can get taught by me, but you have to buy everything that's in my wor workshop. I don't want anything to do with frame building anymore. And, um, cause at that time he had, or still does had a uh, muscular, uh, dipistry. So he, you know, couldn't really frame build as well as he did in the past. He, you know, his muscles just holding up a torch was even just hard. So he was kind of new. It was a, an exit time for him and his son didn't want anything to necessarily do with it at that time. So, mm -hmm. So I learned to build one frame from him. Uh, it was quick and dirty lessons and uh, uh, keeping up was kind of hard with him, but uh, he was really funny, cool guy and uh, built with no jig to, you know, the spectrum that we do today, you know, most guys are doing. It was, he had a reference board that he had on the wall with a bottom bracket holder and he would draw his frame design up on there and, um, and start doing tube layout from there. And he had a couple like sub assembly things for keeping measurements in line and, 
um, uh, definitely that more old school style, but you know, you just, the guy's been doing it since he was 15. He just had eyeballs for knowing when things are on and feeling good about stuff. And, uh, yeah. uh, so, you know, it was definitely different than what most way guys are building frames today. And so he kind of did that first frame, which was, a, a Philip raisin lug, the track frame. And, um, and you know, I got on to, Philip Brazing pretty quickly. I'd been practicing before I even met with him and uh, uh, was pretty okay at it early on. So that helped out getting through the lessons pretty quick. But uh, I was definitely still extremely wet behind the ears after that first frame with him. And then he helped me with a couple other things was pretty much like, all right, time to get on your way. And so uh, that frame, doing that first frame was like every couple weekends a month i'd go over there for like three four hours or whatnot and uh do it and uh so after he sent me on my way it was kind of really starting to just have to teach yourself type of thing after that and uh i think at that time i ended up doing two frames two or three frames with no jig and uh one of them turned out good the next two had rear end problems for sure uh, <laughs> not straight on the backside. So, uh, I decided to buy a Henry James axis 65 and, you know, that helped out kind of moving forward. And, um, uh, and so that kind of started that phase there. And from then on, I started just kind of building frames for myself and for friends and family members and, uh, just trying to learn how to do it right. And definitely, uh, I'm, uh, what age of internet frame builders so you know mtbr and velocity salon was like you know and google groups the frame builders google group yeah. was definitely a big resources for you know trying to learn what I, things you need to do learn about tubing mm -hmm. um uh just techniques that guys use you know all the questions anybody ever had is it's out there on the internet you know for the most yeah. part it's you're, you're looking for something you can find an answer to it generally. Mm -hmm. And then you just got to go and trial and error it and make it work for yourself. Yeah. And um, so yeah, that's and kind of been, you know, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, uh, you know, that was for me, a similar era coming up and those were really valuable resources. And the other one that was huge was Flickr, you know, before Instagram really caught on. Yeah. Everybody yeah. would document, yeah. well, not everybody, but so many people would document their process and just loved showing oh, yeah. what they were working on and how they did it. And, you know, so yeah. many great ideas because a picture is worth a thousand words, right? So, so just seeing oh, the way that somebody like, would, and, and like simple tools, you know, somebody, somebody would oh, yeah. sell the homemade tools. Yeah. yeah. There's like the nice tools. And if you're a dirt bag, like I was, and you would not consider <laughs> yeah. paying real money for nice tools, there would be like some, uh, yeah. So, you know, some fork blade bender that was real simple or whatever it was. And it's like, oh, okay, that. Yeah. yeah like I can make that in my dad's wood shop in, you know, 20 minutes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, yeah that was kind of like, you know. A, a different time because nobody really uses yeah. those resources as much anymore. You know, it, it just shifts technologically over time. You know, now I would like yeah. my podcast to be one of those resources. And I know that Instagram is a huge resource in community and. There's a yeah. Facebook frame builders group. I don't think that one's particularly helpful community, but some of the discussion is, is useful sometimes. Uh, I, 
I don't know, something about the dynamic of that group is not my favorite, but uh, I feel like it attracts <laughs> it attracts a lot of people who love talking, who, in my opinion, clearly yeah. don't know what they're talking about. But, you know, sometimes there's there's yeah. a nugget there that's that's pretty useful. I don't know why. It's like they all these different communities have their own little flavor, and they're all a little bit they different, do. and it's it's kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely different attitudes and different ways of... Uh, conversating and everything for sure so yeah. um, i've definitely had some good laughs on some converse conversations yeah. right on yeah. on all those things before so <laughs> it's all yeah. comedy and over the uh, years you know like all these people that you see post online you get to meet more and more of them at trade shows and stuff and generally i found yeah. that meeting the people in person is kind of refreshing because people i think people generally are like a lot better versions of themselves in person <laughs> yeah a lot of people are like kind of <laughs> anyway uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's some people just have have a way of expressing themselves on the internet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so so you're yeah, figuring so, this stuff out, you know, through the internet and through yeah. a little bit of instruction from this guy. Uh, you know, how long yeah. were you? How long were you working at it? Like, wh- how many bikes did did you ever have? Like a public facing brand where you were trying to sell bikes to people, or were you just doing it at the hobby capacity for a long time, or what was that progression like? Yeah, mostly all the hobbyist capacity, you know, I never really full-fledged went out there and, like, you know, gave myself a brand. I, you know, you know, your hobbyist brand, I guess I called it, and still do call it Cooper Works. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, obviously my goal was always, like, I want to get to that point of being, you know, a frame builder. But, you know, as anybody knows, that journey is not an easy one. And uh, uh, so in that time of building frames, I think, you know, by 2000, 2008, 2000, or I'm, I'm sorry, like 2012 or so, I probably had like 10 or 15 frames mm-hmm. underneath me at that point. And, um, uh, and I was getting, I think pretty decent at that point, you know, doing mostly Philip Bray's, uh, frames, uh, mostly mountain bike was kind of more what I was geared towards. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely did some road frames for some people and still we're doing a little bit of lugged. I like doing some mixed lugged and Philip raised frames. But, uh, so at that time and, uh, you know, pretty much through this whole thing, kind of always looking at suppliers and what people had, you know, trying to figure out where to buy stuff. And, um, for me, that's always been kind of something I've always been involved with was sales and kind of supply side. And, and my dad's always been, you know, a part of this with me and he's been on, you know, uh, the supplier side and in the metal industry and the pipe valve industry and stuff like that. So he was always digging and searching for where you could find parts. And, mm-hmm. um, and so, you know, over this journey, we always were kind of like, hey, man, this guys don't have this or these guys don't have that. So that's always kind of been played in to a thought process we've had of uh, looking at being the supplier and things. And so as, as this progressed over the years, you know, doing a decent amount of frames, three to five a year, and then doing none a year or whatnot. And um, in between that time, I was doing some uh, repping for uh, cycling clothing company called BMA and a couple other small parts stuff and was trying to do that and had a little bike shop in a dumpy building in in Mesa, Arizona and was doing a little bit of sales of parts and 
and doing some repairs for local people and, and building frames in the back. And I think that's after I'd gotten laid off at some point. I was like, okay, I got to rent this place for 300 bucks a month. If I can make my rent and a little bit of money, I'll be happy. <laughs> and so uh, at that point, I was, I was doing okay. I could survive on my own. But then uh, at the time, my girlfriend and I were going to have our, our first child. And it was like, okay, time to, get, time to get a real job that pays some real money. So um, I ended up working for a pipe valve fitting company and along that time, still doing frame building, but really learning about, uh, purchasing and sales and being a supplier and warehousing and all that stuff. Um, so over six years of being at that company, uh, from 2011, I think to up till about three years ago, I've learned a lot about how to do a truly run kind of a, a supplier business. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so learned a lot of skills there about that. And at that time, you know, obviously still seeing who's got what and what, what suppliers in our industry of the frame building and going, Hey man, you know, maybe I could do this better or I could do that better. And so I think it was two, what was that 2015? I think true temper was kind of like, uh, I think we're going to get out. And, um, that's when I kind of, took a, a real serious look at going, Hey, maybe it's time for, for me to actually take on the supply business, um, and, and do what I want to do. And I think I can do better, uh, than what's out there right now. Yeah. And so essentially it was kind of like, okay, I need to, for the first time in my life, really sit down and, uh, uh, put a real business plan together. So I think I spent a good, like, all of 2015 and part of 2016, just really working on a business plan, a foolproof business plan that I knew would put me in good standing to really take off with this and contacting suppliers and getting set up with um, uh, vendors, you know, mm -hmm. in, in Taiwan and then working things out with Dedichai, which to me was, you know, probably one of the most unrepresented tubing lines in the industry for the U.S. Mm -hmm. and um, work something out there with them. And um, so that and that ended up is and will be a continued really good fit for us. And uh, and yeah, I just started thinking about all the other things that, you know, I felt like I couldn't get places that that we needed in the industry at at a supplier and you know that was where i was thinking hole saws and um welding supplies um, mm -hmm. besides just filler metal you know your tig welding supplies and stuff as well and yeah. and just really put this all out here and figured out okay how much do i need to start this thing up and get some inventory and build a website you know it took me about six months to really get the website all built up and uh, uh, buy the inventory take all the pictures and all that kind of stuff and then you know, 2017 kind of rolled around and I just kind of quietly just started it. You know, it wasn't really, I had no really big announcement that I was going to give or anything like that. And honestly didn't really know anybody in the industry and, um, uh, knew, knew who everybody else was from following all these builders for, you know, going on 10 years or so, you know, I felt like I knew the industry cause I was one of those guys that was on, Velocity Salon, MTBR, 
the Google groups, you know, that was like three, four days a week. I'd be on there seeing what was new and trying to learn mm-hmm. stuff. And so really started through all this time, understanding what people were asking for um, yeah. uh, and what they wanted and what they wanted to see and what they wanted from suppliers. And, you know, all that whole time I was kind of, you know, quietly listening to what people wanted. And, um, and so that's kind of where my first thought of bringing stuff in and like putting this whole thing together was like, I want to do what people actually need, not just, not just bring the same thing that other guys already have, you know, cause yeah. there's no point just being another supplier with the same thing. Yeah. So, um, that was a big deal for me was, was two things have, have more than what other people have give more offerings, really solid pricing. And then like number one, number one was like customer service is like my biggest, biggest thing that I really truly try to have the best customer service yeah. uh, the industry can kind of have and availability to frame builders and, yeah. and get them information when they need it. And, you know, I think for everybody that's worked with me, I've, I've proved that 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 is definitely something they appreciate and, and we're looking for as well with the high level of customer service. Yeah. I think when you have a business like frame builders do, or like your business, um, especially frame builders, it like, if you can't offer really good customer service, it's, it's difficult because, um, especially for frame building, it's just like an inherently expensive process. So if your customer doesn't feel like really taken care of and like they're, they're kind of frustrated, the communication's not really there. I mean, it's like a, it's a tough business to begin with, but customer service I yeah. think, is it's, it's maybe not easy to scale infinitely as you have more and more employees, but when it's a smaller operation, I think the difference is just like your own attitude and how you prioritize making customers, you know, feel appreciated and in, in, you know, communicating yeah. clearly to them, getting back to them quickly. Uh, and that sort of thing, you know, you can do just by trying, um, you know, if you had a big company trying to, get all the people who talk to customers for you, all of your employees or something, trying to get them to have the right tone and trying to get them to care yeah. is maybe not always easy, but if it's just your operation and you're the person who's responsible for customer service, it's just a matter of will to like, to make it happen, you know, like make sure that your, yeah. your customers feel really appreciated and their questions are answered and things are done in a timely fashion. And, um, that, that's the kind yeah. of thing that will make people come back all the time. And I have those supply relationships myself with, uh, different companies that I do business with and the thought of like leaving or trying something new when the one that I have, I know works and I know that they're not clowns yeah. and they like, they will, they will do <laughs> what they say they're going to do and, and get it done. And it means all, all the difference in the world to me. It's like, it's really becomes hard to want to leave that. Um, yeah. That yeah. known. And it's just so, it's so easy to go back when you know what, you know what you're going to expect, you know what you're going to yeah. get and, you know, if you do have problems that it's going to be taken care of very quickly too, you know, cause everybody screws up. I screw up. You guys know that I screw up sometimes I ship the wrong thing out or, mm-hmm. or forget to ship something. And they say, Hey, you screwed up. I'm like, all right, man, I'll take care of it right now today. So, yeah. you know, that's a, that's a big deal for me that, you know, whenever I have a vendor that kind of drops the ball on me and they're like, Oh yeah. Okay. And then it's like a week later and they don't haven't done anything. You know, mm-hmm. I don't, I usually am, looking for somebody else to go to. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, that, a lot of, a lot of my customer service is born out of either 
having excellent com- customer service from vendors I've dealt with in all the industries I've been in over the year or the bad ones that weren't good. And mm-hmm. I learned, okay, that's exactly what I don't yeah. want to be like. So yeah, um, but yeah, yeah that's, that's a big deal. I sent some stuff to powder coat this week and the guy turned it around so fast and he did such a good job and it was all packaged nicely. And you know, it's just mm-hmm. like, that's, you know, he, he's a little out of the way and whatever, but it's like, that's, that's acceptable. You know, like uh, who knows the, the yeah. other people are just, I want to use the word clowns, you know, they're just like, I don't know. They're just not, they're (laughs) not thinking about the experience of the customer and the needs of the customer. It's like, I don't, I don't know. I I just want it to be done in a timely fashion and I want it to be good. And I want them to call me when it's done. And like, that's, that's most of it, you know, but like a lot of people, that's, that's, they're just not thinking that way. They're, I don't know. People get like lost in the weeds on these things that, that don't really matter that much. And, uh, yeah, it's important to see it from the customer's perspective of like, you know, like what are their what are their their very most important needs and like are those being covered really well? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's that, that's a big deal for for me here and and continuing to go forward uh, will always be something that people can depend on is uh, quality customer service, quality packaging, yeah, and um, and. Uh, and then us continuing to grow and bring bring products to market is uh, another thing that I really it's something I don't want to get stagnant and just saying this is what we have to offer. You know, mm-hmm. always plan on on bicycle fabrication supply year after year having more products. Yeah, um, well, I see that you're always add. you're always adding stuff. You have uh, I should have looked at your web store before I uh, started this call, but I think yeah, you so have yeah. like acid brushes for brushing on flux, right? Yeah, so I just throw those in when 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 somebody buys flux. I don't I don't think I've got them on the website, but okay. I just throw those in. If you if you buy flux, I'm I'm giving you an acid brush or a, yeah. a chip brush. Yeah. I like the chip brushes better, but I ran out. So when I go mm-hmm. back in, I'll be putting those in with your guys' flux again. But uh, yeah. but well, uh, yeah, I've got the stainless steel uh, stainless steel brushes for for the TIG weld guys. Um, yeah, that's what I'm is, thinking of those ones. Yeah, so yeah. So it's like all these yeah, little things so where it's popular. like. You can get that from your weld supplier or you can get that from, you know, any other place. But if you're making bikes, that's a consumable and you're going to want it around. And, you know, same thing with hole saws. I don't know if any of the other tube suppliers really sold those because you could get them somewhere. But then if you're following the Google groups and these different places, you'll notice that's a common question. People are always asking, where do you get fine pitch hole saws? What what is the best hole saw? And, um, well, if you're just shopping for tubes and you see one there and you say, okay, this is a one-stop solution. I can get this. It's a no brainer. Um, but you you know, you have it right there. That's really convenient. Yeah. And that, and that was, you know, those type of products was something that why I wanted to have those additions and that, you know, having like the abrasive cloth and, um, uh, you know, just, just those small things that maybe that you always had to go somewhere else or you had to go to your hardware store that you couldn't just throw it in your shopping cart and buy on my tube. Mm-hmm. Oh shit. I need, I need some 80 grit and you know, there it is. It's five bucks. It's, you know, yep. it's not a big deal to pop it in there. You know, stainless steel brush, 95 cents. Why am I, what am I, do I really want to go drive <laughs> down to the hardware store or find it somewhere else online? And then I got to mm-hmm. pay another six bucks in shipping to get it to me. So yeah, that was always um, uh, something that, that was really stunk for me in New York 
was whenever I wanted to build another bike or a couple bikes. It was uh, it was an order to Paragon. It was an order to Nova. It was an order to Henry James and yeah. maybe one or two others. Um, a lot of times it was three different orders. And so I didn't have any yeah. extra cash. So I'm like, yep. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm trying to buy the bare minimum that will finish my project. But I also know that if I forget something or if I only buy one of something and then I scrap it the first time, then I'm going to be yeah. delaying my project an entire week for shipping plus yeah, the yeah, cost. Yeah. Like each each order was like $20 to get shipped from oh, the West easy. Coast. Yeah, and easy. it was like, it, yeah. so it's so frustrating to me because um, I, I would spend like half a day ordering stuff because I'm just trying to be deadly careful to get exactly as much as I need and nothing more and nothing less. And it like you just yeah. have all this anxiety over it. And the more that one place can get everything for you, it really makes your life a lot easier. And so, um, you know, to the extent that you can manage to do that is, I think, really appreciated by people. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's something I want to continue to grow on too is you know a lot of times i either pick stuff up because i go oh man i'd really like to have that if i if i was orin or or suggestions from guys so you know anybody out there if you ever got suggestions feel free to uh let me know what you like to see because yeah if it's if i can find it and it, it makes sense to sell it to one guy it might make sense to sell it to more guys so Mm -hmm. Always shoot me an email if you got a suggestion. I, I never shy away from uh, product suggestions. Uh, so yeah, you know, just growing the whole the whole capacity that bicycle frame building isn't just tubing and some dropouts and the head tube. Mm -hmm. There's so much more that goes into that process of products. You know, whether yeah. it's consumables or or not or tools. You know, small tools. Uh, yeah. there, there's just so much more to it than. Yeah, even just, uh, I, I could see if you had hand files and handles, you know, you'd you'd sell some yeah, of those. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know if it's I worth inventorying them, but yeah. uh, there's all sorts yeah. of stuff like that. Because you take for granted when you get up to speed with it and you figure it out, you take for granted that you know where to buy all that stuff from. And so, yeah. oh, yeah, I'll just yeah. buy it from you know McMaster Car or whatever. But in the beginning, you maybe don't know what to buy. And that can be a pretty big hurdle. And as the supplier, yeah, if you yeah. if you sell the things that make sense for frame building, and then you give a little explanation yeah. like this file is good for rough cutting these things, and this one is good for finish filling mm -hmm. fillets, and you know whatever it is, just that little bit of information that comes with it is. Uh, I mean, I Absolutely. would not be surprised yeah. at all if you or like if you sold like a carbide burrs for a um, for a Dremel tool for getting like the inside inside. Um, the, the concave parts of the bottom bracket fillets or something, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. no. Yeah, there's, a, there's a always, there's certain stuff I've looked at, and, you know, sometimes some of it, you know, I look at it, it's kind of hard to buy because you got to buy a whole box of them uh, yeah. and how much you oh, can on the inventory. So, you know, that whole thing plays into thinking about, do I really want to spend money on exactly. that or do I want to bring in more tubing for guys? Yeah. So that's, <laughs> you know, there's that whole play of what do you really want to keep in stock and how much are you going to, is it going to yeah. take me two years to sell what I have to buy mm -hmm. up front? So you know what you should um, do? It's yeah. just an idea, but uh, on your yeah. website, you should have like blog posts or guides to, um, how, you know, like, like the, the 10 tools you need for blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, it, like a uh, mitering tubes by hands. And then yeah. you like, you yeah. list all the tube blocks you would need and you would list all the, the emery cloth and the hand files and the hacksaws and like different approaches and stuff. Yeah. That's not a bad and, idea. Yeah. And the benefit of that is you'd get some search 
engine, um, your site yeah, would have added. more authority and ranking. Yeah. You'd be giving somebody some valuable resource, so they might you might establish rapport with them, and they might feel appreciative. And then for the stuff that you can sell them, you link to it. And for the stuff you can't, you know, now they know what they're looking for. Um, if I was you, I would do that. I think that I should do that same sort of no, thing yeah. for my own <laughs> for my own sort of neck of the. Yeah, no, I agree. It's something you know. I definitely got some more to do there. Time is always you know. I know, yeah. Of the essence, so you know, pretty bogged down as it is <laughs> with just keeping up. But <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I, for me, yeah, I so. spend a lot of time on every shipment. Just like, and it's not all streamlined, oh, yeah. you know. But like, it it just takes a lot of time to get stuff in a box with. Um, yeah. The, the label on there and taped up and so that the things are going to safely make it to their destination without getting damaged because if one yeah. in a hundred packages gets damaged that's that's still a problem you know that's like that's pretty frustrating oh, so yeah. you're, you're you're really trying yeah. to cover the bases and make sure that stuff is and, and, and the more you do that the more you appreciate that all these manufactured goods they have like engineers who design the packaging to be both very affordable to make and very effective at protecting the thing so that they can just throw it into a cardboard box and, and the, the packaging of the thing itself yeah. protects it. But for me, you know, like, like my tube benders, this heavy thing. And like, that's, that's actually pretty hard to ship. It would be cool to get some sort of foam insert that was just the right shape, but that's hard to get in a low quantity and um yeah it is yep. exactly <laughs> all sorts of things like that that you you realize the more you know like i, I had a big order of stuff that you know i finally released a new tool a year ago and i i shipped like 15 of them the first day and it took me like half a day to get those packages out you know it's not that many packages oh, yeah. but turns out that it actually takes a long time when you don't have all the right shipping supplies and yeah yeah so i yeah, imagine yeah, you, you know, spend a, a lot other, of time on that process there too yeah and i imagine just, you're a lot better packaging at it than me. stuff up <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I'm doing, you know, between writing orders up and, you know, fielding phone calls and everything like that, you know, 10, 12 packages a day is usually what I can, I can hit. Um, and, you know, I've got average orders, probably got about like 12 lines, 15 lines on it and everything gets bagged, everything gets tagged. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so, you know, the, the packaging process can definitely takes a good while so you only can do so much in a day but yeah i think for most guys I, I usually ship in one usually the same day you give me an order maybe i'll sneak into the second day mm -hmm. but um uh, that's without a prime membership too so you know um, with <laughs> <laughs> um with frame building you know just shipping a frame set or a bike is a big deal because yeah, boxes, yeah. you know, so maybe you can get boxes from your local bike shop. I know a lot of local bike shops, you know, the second that they build a bike, they uh, they break down the box and they throw it in the dumpster because they don't have room oh, to yeah. keep all these bike yeah. boxes on hand. And so it, it can be harder if you're just shipping a frame. Well, then a whole bike box is kind of big. Uh, bike shops don't get frame boxes in that often. And so yeah, yeah. Um, when you have to engineer this stuff and modify things and then you have to create lightweight fill material it's slow yeah. you know like m most of us don't have those heavy duty staplers for a bike box uh i nope, certainly yeah. the couple of times that i've shipped whole bikes and frames it took forever to box that stuff up and you think about oh, yeah. you know tools in the frame building shop make you more efficient but so did you know packaging and shipping stuff so does uh just you know information management through the build process and all, all these steps you know they're yeah. just very time consuming at the small scale yeah, yeah. So you know, so, so many, 
too many things that play into yeah. the, the the small process of getting all this stuff out that you know yeah how the sausage is made pretty much you know, <laughs> type of thing so so with um, with the yeah. stuff that you sell you do dedichai and some other uh-huh. offerings would you say that you sell stuff more to like a road biking frame builder type or mountain biking or others or um what do you sell the most the, of? like what's the, your real bread the, and butter definitely stuff? the most yeah the most the most dominant thing guys are building right now is what you know just the trend is uh long travel hardtails and gravel bikes um, yeah. and like all road all road frames that's like what is for sure the heaviest of what guys are ordering to. And, you know, I am trying to kind of cater to keeping stuff in stock for, for that style of frame. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of does influence what I'm looking at having made and, and getting tubing for, um, yeah. are geared towards those markets. Cause I think that's going to be around for a while. I definitely say like lightweight road race bikes isn't probably as much what's, yeah the tubing I sell and the parts I sell is, is geared towards just cause I don't think as many people are necessarily riding like that, like they used to. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'd say that's definitely pretty heavy mountain bike and gravel bikes. And you can kind of just tell by what, what, what person's ordered, what kind of bike they're going to be building. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's definitely the two heavy things. And, um, do you sell any then, you know, stainless steel or titanium tubes or is it all essentially chromoly and chromoly variants? No. So with Dedichai, I am selling their, uh, Dedichai zero and zero uno, which is their two steel versions. The zero being the, uh, mostly heat treated and thinner walled tubing, which they consider like kind of their performance race tubing. Um, and then Dedichai Zero Uno is uh, what they call kind of like their endurance tubing. It's geared more towards generally mountain bike frames. It's um, 4130 cold work and stress relieved uh, tubing. Um, and then obviously it's bu- double butted and uh, whatnot. Um, and it's very, really nice, you know, tubing on both those categories. I've been really happy with it and happy with Dedichai. Uh, and their quality and their offerings. And then I do Dedichise, they call it their K19 titanium, which is, it's all the main tubes are grade nine uh, tubing. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have some sh- shaped offerings uh, in that. And I, I, I saw a decent amount of main tubes. Obviously, a lot of guys are using straight gauge, just buying straight gauge uh, titanium. Mm-hmm. Uh, grade nine, but we do, I do sell, you know, there's certain tubes that guys really like because we do have some double butted titanium, uh, one top tube. That's a 34 nine. Uh, it's a nine, seven, nine profile, um, top tube. And then Dedichai's got the, uh, 41.5 in a round. That's also double butted. And that's a, a nine, seven, nine, I believe. And then they also have that same tube and it's in the, uh, like a, long paper pair at the head tube side down to like a polygon is shape at the Whoa. bottom bracket side, <laughs> uh, which is a really cool tube. Uh, and, and there's a similar version, that same tube in the steel as well. Um, so it's kind of nice is Dedichai does transition a lot of their profiles over from steel and titanium. So if you're a guy that builds steel and titanium frames, you can kind of keep that same look between oh, your cool. frames 
you know, which is nice because a lot of, you know, a lot of these guys that are frame building that aren't necessarily like full custom where bikes completely different looking every time they kind of got their style that they build. And, you know, it's nice to be able, if you're in those two categories that you can keep a consistent frame style for your frames. And that's kind of nice about Detachai is if you're stealing titanium, you can keep that same look kind of across your two uh, groups because the chain stays and seat stays have the same shape and feel and titanium as well. So you're not necessarily having to change any processes either. Um, you know, if you're mitering their steel chain stays, it's pretty much going to be the same style setup in titanium as well. well so um, that's pretty nice. And then uh, um, we've obviously got a pretty good range in the main tubes, but chain stays and seat stays in titanium is like what we sell the most to builders. Um, the reason for that is, you know, they like that they can get a titanium chain stay that is ovalized and round. And then, you know, we've got a road version, a cross version, and a mountain bike version that have the same bend profiles as our steel version. Um, they are grade two, which some guys that have used them over the years don't like as much because it is slightly softer. But then I've got a handful of five or seven uh, titanium guys that love those chain stays that use them for 10 plus years. Um, not necessarily, obviously wasn't always through me, but um, I am stocking them all the time now. Mm -hmm. um, but really like them, really like the way they're used. It speeds up their build process because they're not having to necessarily build their own, bend their own chain stays. Um, and then obviously the seat stays, we've got a, a road cross, and um mountain bike and then you know cross the cross and the mountain bike one can flip flop in between the, what kind of gravel bike you're building too so i gotta add that back in there as well so mm -hmm. um uh so yeah those are all you know pre-bent to the profiles that dead chai offers and a lot of guys like using those as well um so we, we do all that in titanium and then I am stocking more and more titanium head tubes and bottom bracket, which I got to get back in stock here. I, the small volume I had, it got wiped out pretty quick. So especially on bottom bracket. So we will hopefully in a few months here have titanium bottom brackets for standard BSA and 73, 68 and 100 millimeter. And, you know, obviously the half millimeter oversized. Mm -hmm. And then um, we're gonna, I'm going to be stocking T47 uh, titanium shells uh, in the 60, 68, 73, A6.5, and the 91.5, uh, depending if you want external or you're doing internal T47 bottom bracket. Mm -hmm. And we'll be also steel. I'm going to have that in steel as well, uh, T47 bottom brackets, uh, hopefully in the next couple months. So just working with a couple of my vendors to get those uh made and then um so yeah a lot more titanium products which people are asking for um really trying to bring more of that and consistently have it uh gonna hopefully have some dropouts at some time soon here that is kind of a, a longer process and anybody that works in titanium knows it's not cheap to buy titanium so uh <laughs> getting that getting that whole process going of having all this extra titanium stock is not a a cheap process necessarily so yeah. You know, trying to make all the smart right moves on it and figure out how much I need to have it at a certain time and not, you know, 
break the bank per se. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we that's kind of the the forward motion on titanium, um, and then of course I've got aluminum from Dedichai as well. Two series on that. You got the the Aggies and the Firelight. Uh, the Aggies is um, kind of the the higher end, a little bit thinner walls uh, on the budding profiles, a lot more shaped um, like down tubes and top tubes in that category. Um, uh, and then there's some scandium uh, main tubes and chain stays and seat stays in that category too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very nice tubing. Of course, all the Denichai tubing, I should say, is all made in Italy. Uh, processed at their plant as well. So um, the aluminum tubing and then the fire light um, is there's kind of like their second tier. Um, a lot of uh, the guys that are doing cross frames uh, use a lot of the, the fire light tubing and the mountain like cross country and some kind of long travel hardtail frames are using the, the um, fire light tubing, which is 7,000 series tubing. Uh, yeah. 7,005. Um, and so I'm stocking that pretty well now. It is finally up on the website, <laughs> which <laughs> is taking me like a, a year or so. Because when I first po- started pulling in the aluminum, there's specific guys that were using it and asking for it. And that's kind of where I started stocking it um, for, for certain guys out there that, that wanted to have a really consistent uh, supply of the Dedichai aluminum. So that's where it kind of it started from guys needing it, me stocking it, and then finally getting it on the website. Um, so yeah, we're, we're going to have that category open. I'm, I'm really excited about aluminum. I think it's got a lot of potential for a lot of guys mm-hmm. that have skills to do it that haven't jumped into aluminum. Uh, you know, I think sometimes maybe the, the heat treatment process or whether you're not heat treatment, the artificial aging or naturally aging kind of maybe like pushes people away from doing the aluminum. But mm-hmm. I think it's a lot of TIG welding guys out there that have definitely got the skills to maybe give it a try. So I'm excited to see aluminum grow. I think there's that market definitely got some room to kind mm-hmm. of come back. It's a really good material, extremely lightweight. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, especially for cross bikes, I've got one guy in West Virginia um, that does a lot of gravel frames and in aluminum. He's been doing quite a few of those over the last year with me. Um, and so there's a lot of, in the aluminum, there's some really cool chain stay profiles that, um, I'd love to be able to see in steel potentially too. Um, which I'm going to, I'm going to see about happening to the guys that asked. Um, so yeah, the aluminum category, I want to see grow for sure. Something that I think is interesting about the different frame materials and, the way that a lot of people approach building bikes is when you're building it by hand and you're trying to make it nice, uh, you're trying to really put all this effort into making it as good as you can. And there's a perception that I think is rooted somewhat in reality that aluminum frames are maybe not uh, always as long lasting with the, the, uh, the fatigue yeah. life of aluminum through like tons and tons of cycles, eventually, uh, you know, cracking. And so anyway, yeah, something yeah. that I think a lot of people, leave out of that discussion all the time is that almost nobody rides old bikes, you know, like, um, it's, (laughs) it's rare that somebody rides a bike that's more than like 20 years old, who is actually really enthusiastic about bikes. You know, you have, you have limited time every week to get out and ride. And there's always some 
uh, I don't know. There's always like new stuff, you know, like there's a new trend for, for, uh, wider tires or new brakes that are legitimately much better or drive trains, or now there's dropper Mm -hmm. posts. Mountain bike geometry is changing every, you know, 30 minutes. It's like, (laughs) uh, and, and so it feels a little bit funny to me when, when people think of, you know, like, oh, and I know this is a customer thing when, when you're building bikes, Mm -hmm. they all think that they're, and, and not to, um, not to speak poorly of customers for custom bikes, but I think a lot of people will talk about like, Oh, I wanted that one bike for, you know, like forever. And it's like, that's just, that's just not how it is though. Like, I just don't believe that because, you know, like we're, there's always a new shiny thing that's exciting. And if we really love bikes, it's like, you're, I just, I I think most people don't actually buy a bike and then ride it for the rest of their lives, even if they could. And I think, especially when you get into the higher performance realm of, you know, like mountain bikes and and cross bikes, these different things that are intended for race, you know, more than like maybe a city bike or a touring bike or something would be a little bit more of like a, a timeless thing that you might keep for decades and keep riding. Cause uh, it's it's a little bit less about like the high performance element of new drivetrains and brakes and stuff. But for something like a hardtail mm-hmm. or a cross bike or a road bike or something, I would I would think the application of aluminum would be excellent. You know, to get especially something like a hardtail where the tires have so much squish and the fork has so so much travel that uh, <laughs> yeah. the 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 whole like steel is real argument really seems like a moot point and you know, who's to say that that's necessarily the gospel truth anyway. And also, I mean, there's a lot of discussion to be had about whether or not aluminum frames really uh, in practice have any less of a useful life than steel frames. But anyway, it just always seems funny to me that, that people talk about, you know, wanting or or the discussion between brazing and TIG welding for steel frames can be kind of contentious. People will, will try and argue (laughs) about which one is more, like stronger or going to last longer yeah. and from everything I've seen or can tell, like they both can build incredibly long lasting bikes. And usually Absolutely. it's, it's pretty rare that joint failure is the thing that gets somebody to stop riding a bike. Usually it starts collecting dust long before then, or they roof rack it into the garage <laughs> yeah. or they crash it or, you know, what, whatever. Like yeah. um, it's, I mean, yeah. maybe it's a shame that things don't have a longer useful life, and uh, I'm not a fan of throwing things away just just because they've come out of fashion, but it just seems to be like the yeah. reality that we live in that um, the technology gets so much better so quickly that things usually don't see their full potential uh, in terms of lifespan like that. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, and and, and trends change, and because the geometry changes, the guy's like, oh well, I want some this bike I've had for the last ten years they ain't mm-hmm. up to date with everything that's going on, and yeah. So they want to they want to buy a new bike. So yeah, that's that's part of it too. Can is, you, you imagine know, things going? Can you imagine like you know it's it's a like you have a real job and a busy life and you know you have family and kids and all this stuff and now it's like Saturday afternoon and the weather's great and you're gonna take your bike to the trailhead and go ride some trails and you could ride a bike that's like you know really gives you a lot of confidence with a dropper post, lots of travel tires that really grip brakes that are strong, you know, lock on grips, or you could grab your Gary Fisher from 1996 with grip shift (laughs) and like cantilever brakes and, uh, you know, tires that are not tubeless that need to be at like, you know, I don't know, 35, 45 pounds. And like (laughs) the grips are not lock on and they're sliding around. I mean, it's just, it's, 
I mean, like you, yeah. vintage yeah. mountain bikes are cool, but it's just, I think if you actually enjoy the riding, the new technology always has so much to offer. It's hard to, it's hard to consider really like living in the past like that. Oh yeah, people do it. You know, you know so. nothing wrong with that. They it's, do do it. You know, yeah. <laughs> no, there are guys that they love it. You know, that's that's their thing too. So, yeah, you know, and there's guys that are building bikes now for people that like that style of bike yeah. too, which is kind of cool. You know, yeah. guys are building that is cool. modern versions of a vintage bike. So, yeah. Well, yeah, I always think when I had Chris Chance cool. on the show, that was cool because I love how yeah. the yeah, new. Uh, the new, um, I think they're called fat chance bikes now and they were fat city bikes in the eighties and nineties. But anyway, mm -hmm. you can buy a bike that he makes, he welds in his shop, this icon, this legend of, of cycling and mountain biking. Chris chance will make the bike for you. And it has aesthetic and functional similarities to the old bikes that he made, but it's actually modern and it, in, you know, yeah. it has the dropper post and the good brakes and the modern drivetrain and the long travel fork and stuff. And that to me is like the coolest thing. Cause it's like the nostalgia and it's the legitimate, it's like the real thing, which is a lot of, I think what people yeah, like yeah. about these old bikes, but then it's actually, you know, it's actually capable and, uh, inspires confidence on the <laughs> yeah. trail that's the coolest thing in the world i want one of those bikes man <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh one thing i want to talk about is the seat tube um i was talking to eric at myth uh -huh. cycles he told me about it and then i was talking to you yep. some more about it and so if like on my on my tube bender one of the very popular applications is a 34.9 or inch and three eighths tube that you would bend mm -hmm. so that you can have short chain stays and still fit a dropper post and uh, and all these things, but a 34.9 millimeter tube doesn't have the right inside diameter for a dropper post. And so yeah. you need to shim it at the top or you need to weld in a seat collar or there's all these different solutions. You could get a butted tube that has a 31.6 or 30.9 inside diameter. And then the outside diameter of the tube is some oddball size. And so that wouldn't fit in my tube yeah. bender and it doesn't fit in tube blocks. And it's just, it's kind of a messy subject. So when somebody says that they want my tube bender and they want to be able to bend a mountain bike seat tube, I have to say, you know, you're going to have to buy inch and three eighths straight gauge tube and weld on a seat collar at the top because there has never yeah. been a tube off the shelf that would do that. And now you've worked to secure a batch of these tubes that's coming in the next couple months that yeah. will be inch and three eighths or 34.9 millimeter outside diameter, but it has the butt profile externally at the top or internally or whatever. So that it actually, it's, it's really thick up there, which is what you want for that joint. And yeah. the yeah. inside is 31.6, right? Yes, correct. Yeah. And it's going to have a real nice, I think, Hello? You there? Sorry, I lost you for a second. Yeah, yeah here we go. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's going to have a 31, I think it's going to end up being like 31.7 on the ID, obviously, to give a little room um, uh, in there. But um, yes, it's going to be ready to go to where you won't have to do a weld-in seat collar anymore. Uh, that will be 600 millimeters long, um, which gives a lot of option to where if you want to run it as a straight seat tube, you can as well. Um, uh, but yeah, we'll be able to bend those to whatever people want. Um, and it's going to have 125 millimeters of the butted section up at the top, which it's going to pretty much be the same as a welded in collar, mm -hmm. um, obviously, because that's just the correct wall thickness 
to be on there, which I think it's um, uh, an inch. It's it's a oh six five wall, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so yeah, it's it's going to be a really nice tube. I'm really excited about getting that in. It's something I had been trying to find for a while. Yeah, and me and Eric ended up going to the same vendor. I before we even teamed up, I had asked to get a quote on it and never heard back from him. I was like, okay, whatever, you know, I got other stuff I can continue on with. I'll come back to it. And I had one other vendor that quoted me on it, but he just didn't have the right thing that I wanted. And, um, so Eric called me up and he's like, Hey man, I got this going. Would you like to team up with me? Cause MLQ was pretty high. And I was like, yeah, let's, let's do this. I've been trying to get this done anyways. And so it's going to be a really great tube. He's going to offer it. Um, and a select bend that he's got with his tube bender. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously I'm going to be using the, the Cobra tube bender to do, you know, a lot of the same style bends that um, I've been currently doing in the six, seven, five and the nine inch radius. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing, the thing with doing it now where it's going to be pre-butted is it will take a little bit of extra work from the customer because we are going to have to do some actual layout to your bike CAD drawing mm-hmm. um, because I can't just bend that tube towards the bottom and then um, kind of where I've got it laid out now and then you cut it off and you weld the collar in where you need to weld it in. We got to work it because it's got that butted section at the top. Yep. So we got to locate that bend exactly where you need it. So yeah. um, one cool thing is bike CAD's got real nice measurements in it. it does. Uh, it's going to be the, it's got the S2 and the S1 and the Z1 and the Z2. Mm-hmm. That pretty much gives me then the top of the tube to the first tangent, top of the tube to the center of the bend, and then obviously from the bottom bracket center to the other side. So yeah. I'll definitely be re- redoing my website a little bit. They'll ask people to give me those measurements. Yeah. Um, when I and, and if you have your own SolidWorks drawing or something like that, I can work from that too. You know, I've done that yeah. with, with other tubes I've bent, but the bike CAD really lays it out pretty much really easy. And, um, yeah. uh, it's a super useful tool for figuring out the bend bends where you need them. So, you know, so I've been making this tube bender for a year and a half or something. And, <clears throat> and, uh, I sold one to you about a year ago and that's been a great relationship because I never really wanted to be in the bending business uh, yeah, but you're already in the the business of mailing people tubes, and so now that you have that bender, you can bend some of your tube offerings and and mail them out to people, which is a huge value added to people. And you know, yeah. for me, a lot of times, like when I have done that, somebody will say, "Hey, can you bend this?" And I'm like, eh, "Okay, all right." <laughs> and so I got a, yeah, it's a conversation yeah. with them about you know which tubes, where do you want it bent. And I, I got to invoice them. And then inevitably yeah. I'll send them an email with like all this information that I want them to give me. And they forget to send me their like shipping address or something. And then I get it all ready to go <laughs> and packaged up and, and I can't ship it to them or they'll like drop ship a bunch of straight gauge tubes from Wix or something. And then I'll yeah. get it in. Yeah, yeah, I'll bend them. Well, now they're bent. They don't fit back in the same box again. And so I get, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. actually, if you don't have a bunch of cardboard boxes that are tube shaped lying around, it's actually pretty hard to yeah. package up the tubes. No, yeah. It's and a pain I, in the butt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd lose. And so like, you're way better set up for it. And so that's been a really good relationship yeah, because when somebody says, I really want these bent, but you know, I'm not actually going to blah, blah, blah. Um, then, you know, I'll just send them your way. And then a lot of times you've been able to help people, which is really cool. I think that's a good 
like sort of symbiotic relationship. I realize for me, I think the value of my bender is not just that it spits out bent tubes. I think the value of it is the capability that it puts in your shop. And I was talking to oh, yeah, absolutely. Eric yeah, right. from Myth Cycles about this, which is that like if um, if you have to coordinate with other people to get things done with the right amount of planning and communication, it goes smoothly. And if people are professional, it works yeah. great. And I think you're a professional and it works smoothly, but it does add lead time. It does add complexity because you have to finalize the design and finish it ahead of time. And, um, and yeah. so for all these yeah. reasons, like uh, it works, but man, it's just nice to be able to do it yourself or to be able to iterate. And <laughs> yeah. so like, I don't really feel threatened that I'm losing tons of business on my tube bender because you have one in your shop and you can sell people bent tubes because I think they, they scratch a different itch. I think a lot of times the, the customer profile of somebody who buys my bender, they're not just looking for the most practical solution of getting a tube bent. And so they just drop some coin on a bender in some cases probably. But I think a lot of times it's that you want to be able to do what you want to do so you can make what you want to make without having to jump through a bunch of hoops and like lay out all these plans, you know, a week or two in advance and, and for those reasons, um, yeah, it's been a really good relationship. Also, it's been really good for me because when a customer is interested in my tube bender and they would like to see, you know, what an inch and three eighths tube bend looks like, they can buy it from yeah, you. Yeah. They get the stuff for the first project and now they, they've had it in their hands and they know exactly how smooth it is and what, you know, what it does to the yeah. tube profile. And, uh, it's been a, I think it's been a home run of a sort of relationship that we have where <laughs> I just refer people to you. What I was going to say, I guess, <laughs> yeah. about this when I started this tangent is that um, because it was a hassle for me to do the tube bending, I thought what I would do to solve that problem was I was going to make a web page on my website and it was going to be not publicly listed, but linkable. And so I just sent somebody yeah. the URL if they were interested and it would just have all these fields that they had to fill out and it would have an image that showed explained what the measurements meant and then they wouldn't be able to hit submit unless all of the fields were entered (laughs) and it was going to have like their shipping address (laughs) and it was going to have you know what diameter tube and all these things and so that so that i just would spend less time communicating with them and in the end i decided that uh i just didn't want to be bending tubes for people i wanted to be you know doing my own stuff be making tools yeah yeah so uh you'll figure out your own solution i would suggest that if you hadn't thought of it but you'd probably find something that works even better yeah, and it's been pretty good. You know, for the most part, most guys that are, are doing it are usually got something that's fairly straightforward, especially on the seat tube bends. And, um, you know, I just did one another day going to a guy, and it was a 28.6. And, you know, uh, it was actually the customer was selling it to a frame builder that's building some frames for them or doing a prototype. And, Unfortunately, I couldn't get a hold of that guy as fast as I wanted, so I got a hold of the builder, and I'm saying, hey, just give me these, these, and these measurements. Give me a screenshot of your bike head, and he sent that over, and you know, I was able to get it bent real quick after that. So mm-hmm. for the most part, I've been, I kind of like talking to the guy about it because it gives me better insight of what they're actually doing with the tube, too. So mm-hmm. um, sometimes it helps talk them through, okay, maybe – because sometimes I have to explain to them how it gets bent in the bender, too, to make them understand – yeah. why I need where I want measurements and stuff too. So yeah. um, it's been pretty good. You know, I've probably done, I don't know at this point, definitely over a, a hundred bends on it. Um, seat tube, mostly seat tube wise. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it just keeps on, keeps on cracking. And uh, we've, you know, I've, I've got the, 
34.9 in the 675 in the 9 inch, 31.7 in the 9 inch, and then 28.6 in the 675. Those are just the only three I currently have, and we'll definitely probably be adding some more. And I've, I've been talking to some guys about the 16 millimeter and 19 millimeter dies, guys who have your bender. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, from doing seat tubes, I'm used to seeing kind of that definite indication of where the bend ends. Mm-hmm. especially on the, the bottom bracket side. And I wasn't sure what your uh, 16 and 19 millimeter were like. And I was like, well, I got to make it look as good as Dedichai's, you know, if I'm going to uh-huh. do this. And, uh, and I, so I'm like, hey, you got to tell me, what can I see indications or not? And everybody's like, no, man, it's super smooth. So nice. you'll probably be seeing some dies from me eventually here. But you know, uh, uh, and start doing some seat stay, chain stay, or seat stays in-house as well. So Yeah. You know, Chris Bishop... Um, had mentioned that he wanted 14 millimeters, you know, tubes bent. And I was like, yeah, I don't make that die. And then recently I was like, well, I got really good at making dies because I changed my process. I was like, I guess I'll offer 14 millimeter stuff. And so I made a couple and now he wants me to bend them. And uh, I'll probably do those for him because he's a buddy. But I, yeah, I, always, yeah. I always hate bending yeah. stuff for people. But if I can convince you to get the 14 millimeter set up, <laughs> that's a win-win. Uh, but, yeah, yeah. But no, anyway, yeah, yeah. I'll, pro- I'll probably end up doing some for Chris. I, I did a couple 16 yeah. millimeters for him in the fall. And um, it, it's good. You know, like, it's good for me to do that from time yeah. to time because I don't really build bikes. So I, I've done quite a few bends through my bender on all different stuff and tested it out, but it's always good for me to be doing some more. And, um, I always get a little bit better at the process and pick up a tip and, and, you know, notice things and it's helped me make some improvements and changes and all that sort of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta use what, what you're selling so you can, uh, make those improvements and and explain, explain to people how to do stuff too. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I wish sometimes I wish guys ask me about tubing and, and stuff and like man i wish i had time to build a frame so i could tell I you what i really like about this or that but you know i've had something sitting in the jig for almost like four or five months now <laughs> and just can't get the time to sit down and really get cracking at it i got a quarter of a frame in the jig mired up but uh so yeah you know it's the, my frame building isn't as much as i'd like it to be but uh yeah uh, yeah you know it's, you, you gotta use your own products so you, you can better explain to people why you like them or how they're how they can be used in certain different variations and stuff like that too so yeah um well uh the you know usually my guest is a frame builder and i mean you certainly are uh, a frame builder in your own right but uh you can also think of it in terms of the business that you've built. I always like to ask people advice that they have for other people who might like to do the same thing or, you know, advice that you'd give to your younger self. I mean, I'm sure you've learned along the way as you built bike fab supply, uh, about, you know, how to, yeah. how to manage things. Like, uh, is there anything that comes to mind that you would share, <laughs> uh, about what you've learned <laughs> along the way? Yeah. You know, just always be looking at options, have open ears and, listen to what people have for suggestions whether it's crap or not <laughs> um because you never know what you're going to learn from somebody i uh, i you know i think i have to thank a lot of the frame builders out there who have you know gave me some guidance on on certain things and um yeah. and no don't do that you know um or yeah do this we need this or that so you know just listening to what people have to offer and then you know you got to get your hands dirty. That's, you know, number yeah. one thing is you, you got you to gotta do the work. It ain't going to just happen. I think a, a lot of people sometimes think 
oh, it's just frame building. I'll just get into this. It's a lot to learn, a yeah. lot of work. So don't expect anything to happen overnight um, yeah. as much as you want it. You might want it to so bad, but it doesn't happen mm-hmm. uh, necessarily like that. Um, at least not for me. I, there are some young guys out there that are pretty slick uh, sort of in the last couple of years. And I'm like, damn, dude, these guys came up quick. But, you know, uh, <laughs> which I think is awesome. Personally, I think it's so awesome. But, um, yeah, and if you want to get into the su- supply side, you know, just eat a lot, do a lot of research. Um, if you've got cool products that you think the market needs, make them, you know. Uh, that's, that's what I can say. Just design it and get some prototypes and make them and you know whether you want to sell them yourself or you want to have a cool product and you want to sell it to me so i can sell it to people uh i do that with guys so you know it's all about distribution and um yeah uh yeah you know if you've got a cool product you think is the market needs and and you want to see it be made or you want to sell it and you need help doing that as far as somebody else selling it for you and you make your money um, and I make my money and the ca- customers are happy, you know, do that. Cause I'm open to competition. I like competition. Uh, so I think more the merrier and it just pushes me to be better. Uh, if there's someone out there pushing hard too. So, yeah, um, I'm ready for the market to have a lot more products and, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Just keep, keep pushing hard. So something, something you just said reminded me of, you know, I like to always think about in a transaction with a with a customer and a seller is that if if it's done well, if it's done right, then you know everybody should win. Like if you've created something or if you're, you know, distributing something or whatever and and it provides so much value to the customer that it's like such a good option for them, then uh, they should be able to buy it and feel so glad that they spent their money because they're way better off with the product or service than they were with whatever money they started with. And then for you, yeah. it should be, you know, as the seller, you should be able to make enough money to cover your costs and your time and to be able to like move forward and grow with that some. Mm-hmm. And that I think a lot of times when it doesn't work, it's because you didn't have the right formula to start with. You know, but like uh, there's there's smarter and less smart ways to do it. You know, sometimes there's just like a business model or some sort of venture idea that's just it just isn't going to work. You know, there's just not enough room to to yeah. like make every. But like if um if if it's good though, if it's like a good business proposition or whatever, then uh, you should be able to provide so much value that even while you're making a good profit on it, you're serving the interests of your customer so well. Um, yeah. that, that it's yeah. so much, it's miles better than their next option or there is no other option or something. And that, that's like, yeah. Yeah. that's the whole trick of business is to like, to identify where you can offer something like that, that that's actually useful where there's a customer and when you find it, you know, then actually delivering on it. Yeah. And that, that, the hard part is always necessarily delivering and, you know, getting to that final point where you can bring the whole thing to market. But, um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I just, I'd say, you know, I'm, I'm open to seeing, cause there's a lot of guys out here right now who are making stuff for themselves. And I think that's awesome making their, their own dropouts or this or that part. And I think that's, what's great too, is, you know, guys are got their own CNC machines or they got access to CNC machines and they're making parts mm-hmm. for their frames. And, you know, yeah, I right. think that's, that's cool too. Cause you know, there's a lot of guys that have a lot of talent and, and I think it just, 
it opens up other people's mind to, to doing stuff. And um, so, yeah, and I think in the long run for the industry, that will be good because, you know, there's going to be more options out there for, for guys to have uh, if somebody wants to share their, their product that they're making. So mm-hmm. um, with, with, with that kind of noted, you know, for new stuff that's coming out from us, um, we will, I don't know how fast this process is going to go, but we will have full suspension kit. Damn. Um, we're going to have a, uh, a trail version, um, like a 130, 140 uh, rear suspension trail version. That would be kind of geared around a 140 millimeter front travel as well. And then a cross country um, version as well. Um, that's like, a, I think, I believe it's like a, a 100 or 120. I got to verify that again but it is does it is a design that has been out there from a frame building company um that is not around any longer not because they were bad but just they just decide to close doors and move on in life mm-hmm. but um it is a uh systems that have been reviewed by magazines and stuff like that um, it will be a multi-pivot um or a, a single single pivot multi-link um, for the trail version. Nice. So that's got kind of finalized in the last uh, couple of days on actually, you know, getting the rights to be able to use use this guy's design. And uh, so we'll be starting to work on this year, bringing a full kit uh, to the market that guys can kind of be able to plug and play into their, their frame build. Um, so I'm pretty excited about that. I don't know cost-wise or anything where we're going to be at yet. We haven't got to that point, but like all my products, I'm going to make it as affordable as I can. And yeah. um, uh, I think it's going to be something really cool that will allow a lot of guys to experiment with full suspension that, you know, there's a lot of guys that are kind of doing it now, but it's kind of expensive to make all the pivot parts and, and, do all the design and all that kind of stuff where this will allow you to really be able to just kind of get at least a trial at it or continue to use it because you like it and it works good and you can just kind of start putting frames out for that. Um, mm-hmm. So we're excited about having that uh, in the market. I'm hoping to kind of have a first test kit that I'm going to give out to a couple guys in the fall and then after a couple trial runs, you know, bring it full to market and, we might have like a three tier kind of a package um, type thing where one might just be just, you just buy all the linkage and the pivots and you can kind of use those parts to do your own design. Um, But you've got those parts already. So you don't have to go through that kind of process. Um, And then the second tier would kind of be everything you need to build it up with like design parameters of where to locate things um, you know, obviously all the shock mounts and everything that's mm-hmm. needed, all the rear end tubing come with the dropouts and everything. Uh, it's kind of be like the second tier and maybe down the road would be like a third tier that we would maybe already have like the rear swing arm kind of made for you. And then you would just have to place like the, the front end pivot, uh, into the frame design. But that, that third package will probably be a ways away. Mm-hmm. Um, but those first two are going to be kind of the first two options. Cause I know some guys that I've talked to uh, want to have some freedom to use, use the linkages and the pivots and stuff to kind of build up their own design from, from that, but that have those parts already. And then some guys are like, I want to know where to put everything 
so I can use it in my front triangle uh, mm -hmm. and adapt it there. So something exciting. I'm hoping that guys will kind of be excited about and will really like to be able to, uh, you know, even if you only build one full suspension, you get that chance to kind of do it. And uh, uh, I think that's going to be something really cool. And, and yeah. this should work for both uh, uh, steel frames and aluminum frames. And um, uh, that's going to be kind of our ticket on that. Uh, as far as a, a new product coming out, uh, that's probably going to be the biggest one for this year. So we'll see. We'll see if I have anything at... Uh, the North American handmade bike show for that, but I'm not sure if I will in time. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, stay, stay tuned on that for everybody. And then we do, will have another tubing line in the uh, fall as well uh, that we're going to be picking up. Uh, I'll just kind of keep that quiet, but it'll be an, another material uh, that will uh, be added to our group. So that's pretty um, cool. We're excited about that as well. Just, and then, yeah, just keep in tune with us. New products coming for aluminum guys. OGQ dropouts in 7005 will be coming hopefully soon. Uh, got the raw material coming, and um, uh, we're doing a little redesign to make them adapt better to aluminum chain stays because they just are a bit bigger and whatnot. So, mm -hmm. and welds are bigger. So, we're, there's some redesign going on there with uh, Matt over at Quiver. Um, design works so uh that is coming though for the guys that i've been talking to about 7005 and anybody else that's interested uh so we will have that sweet dropout uh for you guys to use um so yeah you know for the most part stay tuned with what we're doing here at bike Fab supply and uh we're going to keep bringing you guys the best we can yeah cool i'm excited to see where it goes you're on a you're on a you know pretty fast growing trajectory and it's cool to see the the business grow and the product line get fleshed out more and more all the time. So thanks for uh, yeah. taking the time to be on the show and, uh, and I look forward to seeing you yeah, at appreciate trade it. shows and whenever life gets back to normal. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I, hopefully uh, for everybody to stay well out there and yeah, let's just all keep it going in the, in the frame building market. Let's keep strong with each other and uh, yeah. uh, just keep this, keep this industry awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. Cool. Talk soon. Thanks, Jeff. Bye. Bye.